0: Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. "'though I myself have reasons for such confidence. "'If someone else thinks they have reasons "'to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. "'Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel "'of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, "'in regard to the law, a Pharisee, "'as for zeal, persecuting the church, "'as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. "'But whatever were gains to me, "'I now consider loss for the sake of Christ.' What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word.
1: Good morning, everyone. My name is Pete Snow. I'm an assistant minister here. I'd love to meet you afterwards if if I haven't already. We're going to be uh, looking at this amazing text in Philippians for the next few moments, but let's ask God's help before we do. Weak made strong in the Saviour's love, our great God in heaven, Father, we pray that uh, as weak people, as we come to you, the strong God, with a strong everlasting word, you would have a blessing for us this morning. Open our eyes so they may, we may see wonderful things in your word. Amen. What is the thing that uh, takes you from a 100 miles an hour as an individual down to... Zero in you know two seconds flat. I mean, maybe there's something in your life, maybe something that happened this week where you were sailing along as happy as anything, life is terrific, and then mm, you know. For me, it was when uh, I was sailing along, fast asleep in the middle of the night, and I heard the opening strains of a child crying, and uh, and I went from in about two seconds flat down to uh, unhappiness. Uh, I don't know, maybe you don't have that in your life right now, but uh, is there someone who, you know, when someone disappoints you, you're expecting something from them, an email, a piece of work, and, oh, it hasn't come to, oh, no. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, it's actually that uh, difficult thing when a friend succeeds at something you were trying to be good at, and, oh, on the inside, you're trying to remain very polite on the outside, but, oh, oh, dear, it's gone from 100 miles an hour down to zero, Uh, Maybe it's when you uh, you get that twinge of pain, physically or emotionally. You know, it reminds you of some deep, deep pain from before. Oh, there it is again. I've gone from 100 miles an hour down to zero. If I can phrase the question another another way, not what takes you from 100 down to zero, but what drains your joy in the Lord. Philippians is a book about joy. It just keeps coming up again and again and again. I'll show you in a minute. This chapter opens with yet again, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. We've got it again. Um, I think of it like a a tank of water, a big water tank, and all of us have a joy tank. You know, sometimes the level is really high, we're up 100 miles an hour, life is brilliant, full of joy, but then it sort of, it can spring a leak, or it can get punctured by something, some circumstance punctures a hole in my joy tank, and I start to leak and I get depleted. Not so joyful anymore. You see, here we are. Chapter 3, verse 1. It would be lovely if you had it open. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. This is kind of funny if you've been reading Philippians all along, because here he is again. Um, you could translate further as, uh, what remains? What, what is there left to do? Oh, how about you do some more rejoicing? You know, if we've been reading this long, we're like, seriously? Again? What's left over now? Do some more rejoicing. But here he is. Rejoice, my brothers and sisters, in the Lord. Rejoice. Uh, ever since I've known Laws, the student worker here, he's always signed off his emails as rejoice in the Lord always, Laws." And there have been times where I thought, that's a funny thing to write, why, Laws. <laughs> why are you writing that again? And uh, But I think he's spot on. Re- further, what what else is there at the end of my email? Rejoice in the Lord always, Loz. Yeah, um, <laughs> rejoice in the Lord. But here's the strange thing, and this is what I'd just love to spend our time on this morning. The things that Puncture Paul's tank of joy are not the same things that maybe puncture our mood. We actually know what they are because we've been we've been tracking him through Philippians. There's two of them. The first thing that punctures his joy tank, like that, is uh, avoiding suffering. What? No, hang on. You've got that wrong around, surely. Suffering would puncture my joy. That that would make my joy. No, 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 no. For Paul, it's when I avoid suffering. It's when I pass up opportunities to speak about Christ. It's when I don't witness to the whole palace guard that, oh, oh, I wanted to do that. My my life is about that. So avoiding suffering. Ever since chapter 1, verse 29, you can see we've had had this strange sentence. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's like God's given every Christian this strange gift. You, you can have joy in Christ if you're willing to take this gift of suffering for him that I give you. And we've seen in chapter 2, we've seen the example of Christ and Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul. Uh, they actually top up their joy tank by suffering for Christ. So that's the first thing that um, punctures his joy tank, avoiding suffering. And the second thing, well that's what we're going to get to here in chapter 3, uh, religious point scoring. Religious point scoring for Paul is something that takes him back to the old days of religion. That just that just drains me of all my joy in Christ. You see how the, his first instruction, rejoice in the Lord, not in religious point scoring. So what does God say will top up your tank, will make you joyful in the Lord? Well, it's really a... a a negative at first what won't do it is um, confidence in the flesh there's an outline on your service sheets and, and there's really one one big command today uh, watch out for confidence in the flesh do you see verse 2 watch out for those dogs those evil doers those mutilators of the flesh for it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reasons for such confidence. That's really the big thing that everything else here hangs off. We might ignore it because we want to get to the famous bit later in this passage, but no, watch out for confidence in the flesh, verses 2 to 4. This is really strong. Um, he Actually, in, in Greek, he says, in, watch out three times. So, Watch out, watch out, watch out. If someone said that to you, you'd prick up your ears. And it's, it all begins with the same letter as well, which is hard to bring through in English. Uh, the best I could do... In English is uh, watch out verse two for those dogs, watch out for those doers of evil, watch out for those destroyers of the flesh. You see, so watch out, and it all begins with the same letter, It's, it's strong. Watch out. We know from the rest of the Bible that this this sort of circumcision thing he gets to here is dogged Paul's career. Sorry, weak pun, dogged. It's, talking about dogs. okay. Um, it, dogged in, uh, it dogged his career in Colossians. He's writing to the Colossians about this sort of thing. In Galatians, he writes about circumcision. Then here it pops up again. It seems like there were these people in the early church who were, you could call them Judaizing Christians. Let me just explain because it's important to the understanding of this. They were Christians, so they believed in Jesus Christ, you know, him crucified, he is Lord. But they also said, well, why can't we bring together the old Jewish law with the new Christian faith? That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? So what you need to do, Christians, is get circumcised. You yeah? know? Snip, snip. And then you'll have everything. Everything that the Jews used to have in, in terms of Israel. And you'll have belief in Jesus Christ. So come on, let's bring it all together. Watch out for that, Paul says. That's the sort of gospel plus. You know, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. I've got all the Christian belief. And then maybe just something else to add to it. That'll, that'll really complete the package. That'll be terrific. Gospel plus. He comes out against it in verse 3. He says, look... We are the circumcision. We've got that Old Testament category of a circumcised heart. We have the Spirit of God, and we have the Messiah, Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. So we've got no confidence in that sort of thing. Watch out, or it'll puncture your joy, and you'll leak joy everywhere. It's a bit like when you go to the gym, and uh, perhaps this is only for me at the skinnier end of the body spectrum, but uh, I, I go to the gym, and it's very demoralizing, because there's, there's, there's men lifting enormous weights, and uh, you know, there's people doing incredible feats of endurance on the rowing machines and the running machines and everything. and you have to walk through them all. It's terribly humiliating. I can't, I can't do all that sort of stuff. Um, but that, there's a, there's a, a spiritual equivalent of that, you know, saying, "Come on, if you just lift some extra weights, just put an extra weight on your machine. Can't just, we just go a little bit further and then you'll be mature. You'll have a complete package then you'll really be going great guns. You'll have confidence. Watch out for that, Paul says. Whether it's circumcision or some other species of it, which we'll get to. Watch out for it, because it's dangerous. It puts all the confidence in your flesh and not in Jesus Christ. Okay, if you're with me so far, Paul spends the rest of the passage just doing a little autobiography. He says, let me tell you about my experience. And it's very compelling as he gives his personal, testament, personal testimony in this regard. Okay? So we'll look at um, Paul B.C., if you like, before Christ, before he knew Christ. And that was about religious point scoring. And then we'll look at Paul A.D., or Anno Domina, you know, after, after he knew the Lord, knew Jesus Christ. So does that make sense? B.C., A.D., before Christian, after Christian. So Paul B.C., verses 4 to 6, was all about religious point scoring. Just have a look with me. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. This is autobiographical, and he gives this incredible list, this, this CV, you see. Circumcised on the eighth day, that was when a Jewish boy was supposed to be circumcised, so absolutely spot on in terms of his early religious life. And there's just a hint here, isn't there, of him saying to the Philippians, you think you're religious? I've been religious since the cradle. <laughs> Ever since I was a baby, I've been a perfect Jew. You know, that sort of sense. He says, of the people of Israel next, what the Judaizing Christians want to achieve by circumcising everyone I've already got by birth. That's just mine. I grew up with that. And then he says, um, of the tribe of Benjamin, they were the, one of the only loyal tribes, Benjamin and Judah, loyal um, when everyone else went into exile. And of course, Benjamin, the territory where Jerusalem is. So basically want part of one of the best tribes. I've got that as well. He sums all of that up by saying, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've got all the privileges. Next, what does he say? In regard to the law, a Pharisee. So I was a member of the, one of the strictest sects that took the Torah most seriously. That was me. I knew it all. And as for zeal, I was persecuting the church. You know, I went around killing Christians because I was so zealous for God. And then as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. You've got to understand that in the right way, of course. It's not that he's saying he was perfectly morally pure. But in, in terms of the pharisaical understanding of the way he was doing it, the outward rules they set up for themselves, that was perfect. In other words, he was top of the religious premier league. Before we get to our own day, um, we know of certain things that really got up Paul's nose in this respect. So it's certain uh, confidence in the flesh issues really wound him up in the New Testament. So we've seen that there was circumcision. People saying that Christians had to be circumcised in order to be a true Christian. Another one was food laws. He writes about that in his other letters. You don't have to eat or not eat certain things in order to be a true believer in Christ. And then the third one was certain feast days. You don't have to observe certain days in order to be a true believer. That really wound him up as well. So he's not interested in that religious point scoring anymore. Now, of course, none of that applies to us today, does it? No one's going around trying to compel everyone in the Christian church to get circumcised. Okay, I'll give you that. I I have never come across anyone like that. What I did come across when I was seven years old was a Roman Catholic church where I was brought up and we used to go to Mass every Sunday, me and my family. And at the end of Mass, the priest said, now do remember everyone, Wednesday is a holy day and if you all come to Mass again on Wednesday, you'll earn a plenary indulgence. Now that I find that not many people know what a plenary indulgence is these days. 500 years ago, everyone would have known. A plenary indulgence is a bit like a voucher that the priest can give you to get time off purgatory. So you get to heaven quicker if you've got a plenary indulgence. Um, that is is nowhere in the Bible and uh, to my mum's great credit I was seven years old I didn't know the first thing about it but she gathered the three kids up in her arms and walked out and then never came back to that church because that is not true by doing something extra by observing an extra holy day you cannot get to heaven quicker get to heaven any better I reject that watch out for that sort of confidence in the flesh perhaps a, a less subtle way of seeing this these days is in, a, in what is often called an Anglo-Catholic church which, is, which uh, often makes up Church of England churches where they would, they would say they put a lot of store in ceremony and rite and ritual of course if, if, you, if that is where your whole confidence lies in those things, in the robes that the priest is wearing or in the beauty of the architecture or in the magnificence of the ceremony then that's a confidence in the flesh that's a human thing Watch out for that, Paul would say. In another part of the Church of England, or in other denominations, you'll get a sort of liberal mindset where the confidence is in our thinking, our reason. My, my confidence there is in the way I can develop my theology. I can almost work my way towards God because I'm so clever and enlightened. That's another species of this. Of course, the evangelicals are never guilty of this, are they? Hmm. They are when we think that our preaching or our exposition is so good that that becomes the locus of our confidence. That that becomes the thing that I'm really trusting in rather than Jesus Christ. I'm not rejoicing in the Lord anymore. I'm rejoicing in the right onness of the sermon or the, the brilliance of my Bible study leading or how I can understand a certain book of the Bible. You see how that's changed? That's a confidence in the flesh. That's a confidence in a skill that I have, not a confidence in the Lord. I guess we're also prone to trusting in uh, things. We want buildings and things like that so that we can tell people about the risen Lord, not because they're anything in and of themselves. So Paul says, I'm not up for that religious point scoring anymore. That was my old life. That's BC. Rather, I'm about knowing Christ. So Paul AD, he's about surpassing Christ knowing. Faith surpassing Christ knowing. Do you see how he uses kind of financial, commercial language here? He switches into it in verse 7 Whatever were gains or, or profits to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. First of all, he starts off saying, All, all that stuff on my CV, you know, circumcision, child of Benjamin, yada, yada, yada. That's I've, I've let go of that. And then he goes further, verse 8 What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing. Christ Jesus, my Lord. So it's a step further; it's surpassing Christ knowing. And what's even more, he takes another step. Verse nine, uh, sorry, verse eight. I consider them garbage or kitchen scraps. You could you could translate that as kitchen scraps—the kind of stuff you throw out from your kitchen. You've got one of these in your house. We've got a kitchen scrap bin in ours. And he considers religious stuff, confidence in the flesh, garbage compared to potato peel or a a lemon, uh, what do you call that, like a lemon skin, or banana skin, or an old tomato. You know, I consider that garbage. Paul says that I used to be a a dog, to use the language of verse 2. I used to be, you know, foraging around in the kitchen scraps looking for little religious things I could cling to and think, this is my righteousness. Nowadays, I'm not up for that anymore. I've got something better. Imagine, um, okay, London. See if this works. London is under siege. You know, like an old-fashioned city used to be under siege, and um, it's surrounded. And the price of food goes up because it's scarce. Can't get supplies or anything. So the price of food goes up. This could be quite valuable, couldn't it? I mean, there's a chance you could maybe sell a potato skin for a fiver or a tenner. If someone was really hungry, you'd think, okay, well, this is going to keep me going. This is all I've got. And then imagine the siege is lifted. And um, the king comes along and throws a banquet. And he says, I'm going to give you the richest feast you can imagine. I'm going to give you roast meat and, and wine and bread and And everything. And suddenly, ooh, your kitchen scrap's not worth anything anymore, are they? The, the, the monetary value is just it's gone. What says that about his life before Christ? You know, I, I used to cling to those things, but now, it's garbage. That's nothing to me now, because I've got something way better. Let me show you why it's way better. Verse 9, you see, he's, he's all about knowing Christ. So, Two little questions just to explain why this is so good. Why the feast is so good. Uh, Why is it better? And secondly, how can we grow in it? Okay. So first of all, why is it better? Well, because you gain more and you pay nothing. You see? So you gain more. Where does he say this? Verse 8. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. You notice how he's always been talking about it in terms of knowing a person. That's why Christianity isn't just a set of rules. Please never go away from church thinking that it's a set of rules. It's a relationship with a person. I, I know them. I know, I know a person, Jesus Christ. And what a person. I know the one who was the firstborn over all creation. Who was there in the beginning. Who, with the Father, put the stars into the sky and decided what to, where to put all the continents. And what to, what to um, do with all the animals. I know that person. What's more, the person who was willing to die for my sins, shrink himself down, become a man, live a perfect life, and die for me—I know that compassionate, magnificent, powerful person. I know him, so I, I gain him. And also, of course, part of the, the package is that I gain righteousness. Do you see verse nine? I am found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is which is through faith in. Christ so I gain Jesus' perfect religious life in knowing him I get that transferred to me and that's my righteousness so I why is this better than that because I gain more Christ and his righteousness and what's more I pay nothing do you see it's almost like he wants to make a point of that here verse 9 not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ what do I have to do well nothing just believe it's true Believe the invitation that God the Father has issued to come to the feast. Why is it better? Because of that. And then, uh, how can I grow? If that's the case, if it's it's true of a Christian that that they know Christ, then give me more. I want more of it. Well, let's look at verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to, a, to attaining, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see, there's a trajectory there. Paul, the apostle, who probably knows Christ better than anyone, he says, I'm not satisfied, I want more. Three things that he, he says. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, and the resurrection from the dead. Two of, two of those, just to point out to you, happen now. See? the power of his resurrection that's available now the participation in his sufferings that's available now attaining to the resurrection of the dead that's available later not yet been released that one that'll only happen when uh, Jesus returns and we rise from the dead here's the thing god is willing to give these so we can just ask for them you can ask for the power of the resurrection this is a point made in Ephesians 1. You know, the, the power to live a Christian life is available to you. It, it was available from Easter Sunday onwards. I was talking to one of the students here uh, last week. And uh, he said, you know, I turned up as a fresher last year in London. Uh, just living life my own way. I guess I kind of thought I should go to church and be a Christian. But I just couldn't change. I couldn't change the, the habits and addictions in my life. I met him two weeks ago for the, the first time. And he said... It is a miracle, the the difference in my life compared to a year ago. And I can only put it down to the power of God. The the habits that I've broken, the things I now do differently, there's no explanation for that apart from the power of God. I want to say to you that the the power of God, the same power that took a big rock that was rolled in front of a tomb on Easter Sunday and drop-kicked it out with the resurrection, is now available to you in your Christian life. So as you struggle with sin, that power is available to you. God is willing to give you that. And as you try and, and shine like a star in the universe, hold out and witness to people in evangelism, that power is available to you. Of course, the reason we can even know somebody, Jesus Christ, is because he's still alive. That's why it's still a living relationship. So it's the power of the resurrection. Um, how else can I grow? Well, uh, here, So, here's the, the one that we never expect. Participation in his sufferings you see, I've got to show you it again because it seems so counterintuitive. Verse 10, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is pouring out myself, even unto death, even with no recognition, like Jesus Christ, in order to bring people closer to him. I spent Thursday lunchtime this week at Imperial College giving a talk um, about what success looks like and I finished off by saying Really, success is very fragile, and if you, if you want to know some indestructible success, then you need the resurrection of Jesus, because it's the only thing that's indestructible. And do you know I felt like an utter fool? <laughs> there was something within me that said, said uh, Pete, no one's ever going to believe you. you know, um, resurrection from, from the dead, you've got to be joking, because it does seem an improbable thing. And you know, as I, I prayed, and God gave me some, some power to say that, I found yet again, it is the most brilliant truth. Jesus did come back from the dead. The power of the resurrection is available to people. And sure enough, we had incredible conversations afterwards with people wanting to talk more about it and say, tell me more about this resurrection from the dead. you ever heard that phrase? um, I think it was by Eleanor Roosevelt, the old first lady of the USA. Do one thing every day that scares you. You know that? And people kind of use that as a way of keeping pushing on in life and doing scary stuff. I want to take that phrase and make it Christian. So I want to say... Do one thing every day for Christ that scares you. Participate in the sufferings of Jesus. Take a risk for Jesus Christ so that someone else might know him a bit better. I don't know what that means for you. Maybe not standing up at Imperial College giving an evangelistic talk. Although, go for it if you feel led. Um, Maybe it means supporting somebody who is standing up and speaking out for Christ. You You have that Epaphroditus ministry. I'm just going to do whatever I can to encourage you because I love the ministry you're doing. Maybe it means being known as a Christian in whatever context God's put you in. Maybe it means reminding someone who's already a Christian of Jesus Christ. You know, there are opportunities in conversation just to say something spiritual, and it feels a bit awkward sometimes, but I want to help you rejoice in the Lord. I want to help you top up your your joy tank in him. And then thirdly, we've had the power of the resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, Thirdly, the, the resurrection of the, of the dead, which is the thing we're looking forward to, which hasn't yet been available, but somehow, one day, God is going to raise our bodies from the grave, and we'll see him finally. And Then, then I'll really know Christ. So if you, if you don't treasure Christ as much as you read about in these verses at the moment, if you don't really feel like you know him as well as Paul can say he does, well, should we ask God together? Should we say, "Look God, this is our longing, our passion, this would be great. Can you do it for us? We'll do that together. You, you can go through life clinging to kitchen scraps, point- scoring, or you can go through life with a full tank of joy, because your confidence is only in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we want to ask you this morning for the power of the resurrection to help us live our Christian lives. I want to ask you tremblingly, Father, for participation in the sufferings of Jesus. Perhaps we don't know what that means yet. Perhaps we don't know what we're getting ourselves into, but we recognize that his life is the way we want to live. Your power is the thing that sustains us, and we just want to know him better. And we want to ask you, Father, that one day you will raise our bodies from the dead and show us what it means to know you perfectly. And we pray it, Father, in the power of the Spirit and through the name of Jesus and only for your glory. Amen.